All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm Connor, and today I will be your chauffeur as uh, we go on this journey through Drive My Car. And uh, I'm here with Katya. Hello. And as always with Calvin. Hey. And so this film won uh, Best International Film, and I maybe have some gripes about it because I feel like we saw a couple really good uh, in Icelandic film called Lamb, and... Um, it just got outright snubbed. Uh, and I feel like part of that is like it, the time it came out in the year. It was like earlier on, so... No, it was October. Was it? Yeah. All right, I trust you. <laughs> uh, but it was one of my favorite movies of 2021, and then we saw The Worst Person in the World, which is a Norwegian film, and I it caught you, you were there for that one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I, I loved it. I thought it was this really great authentic film, but Drive My Car ended up winning. And uh, Calvin, I kind of wanted you to give the, the synopsis on it, because out of all of us, you're the one who's going to do it the most justice. I think I'm the one that likes it the most, so I might be... I a- certainly think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um... So I uh, yeah, drive my car is is fascinating. It's a very narrow view of a specific genre of cinema, I think. Uh, but the basic idea is of the story is that there's this guy that has a complicated relationship with his wife. Um, she ultimately passes, and then I mean that's forty minutes into the film, she she passes away. Isn't and that then, wild that the uh, the credits appear? Yeah, forty minutes into the movie, I thought that was in. nuts. Yeah, and then so the the last two hours and twenty minutes are about him uh, directing one of his plays, um, the the conflicts with uh, reoccurring characters from his past, and then this this relationship that he forms with a girl who's been contracted to drive him by the production company that's putting on his play because of an issue he has with um, his eyesight. They don't want him getting in a car crash, so right. Um, just to protect their liabilities, they hire this girl and they ultimately learn that they have a lot more in common and how they overcome their past is is basically the whole point of the movie. Right. And you did not misspeak. After you get to the credits 40 minutes in, there is another two hours and 20 minutes of this film. <laughs> that was, you did not misspeak. This is, a the, honestly, it's, it's listed at uh, two hours and 59 minutes. And I'm like, add another minute, you coward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make it three. Listed as three. Um, but it's directed by Ruski Hamaguchi, and it's based off of a short story by Haruki Murakami. And it had a budget of uh, 1.3 million. So, I mean, this is like really modest, and it made 11. And again, it's going to, it's got on all this acclaim because it won an Oscar. And I mean, wow. just because it's good. It, it didn't need an <laughs> Oscar, a pity international feature Oscar to to be t- told that it was good. I have, we will dive more into my opinion on this <laughs> I film. I need to be told. Um, <laughs> yes. So part of, one of the concerns I had going into this is, you know, I knew the runtime and I think it's it's hard to keep an audience engaged if you're just telling a human drama and it's it, there's no surreal moments, there's no fantasy involved you're just trying to experience someone's life. And my concerns, I think, were well-founded. I found this movie to be really boring. And it's not that it's not well-made. Uh, and I think it's a story that got its point across. But I just think it's, it's incredibly long for a, a, essentially, I think, a story about closure. And there's plenty of movies out about closure. If I wanted to watch that, I would just watch a ghost story. But that was, that was kind of my issue with going into this is it, it's, I'm not saying every movie needs to be Lord of the Rings or Avengers and have fantastic elements to it. But I just think it's going to be tough to stay engaged in a movie that's just human drama. So did the runtime affect you guys at all? And it, does it affect um, does it affect recommending this movie? I think I'm stuck in the middle between you and Calvin. <laughs> I thought I was very opposed to the positive view of the movie until I talked to you, Connor. <laughs> but yeah, well, you're, honestly, you're going to be the child in the middle of a divorce for the yeah. next hour. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think, I think the length for me was the biggest thing. It took me a long time to get through it, especially when I got to the credits. Like I paused, I paused it there and then I think I didn't watch, finish till the next day. So like, like, thank God it's over. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it took me like, it was like a 24 hour movie. Right. Um, because that's how long it took to watch it. But yeah, so on reflection, I have a lot more appreciation for some of those those longer scenes and some of the the space that they give the characters to kind of you know make this change and I think that it says a lot without saying like physically saying a lot as the characters the movie can ends up saying a lot <laughs> which we can talk about later so I don't know yeah the length definitely um, gave me a little trouble um, in in finishing it and in 
forming a cohesive experience at the end and for enjoying it while I was watching it. Right. And also just working up like the nerve to, oh, I got to watch a movie. Yeah. Like I got, I got home from, from work and I was like, man, I got to get everything together because I got to start by six. I think even for working yourself up to watch this movie, the, the runtime is intimidating. I mean, I got home, you know, at five from work and I was like, okay, well, this is a long movie. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stuff in it and I have two weeks to watch it. And if I want to watch it twice, I just got to, yeah. I got to do it early. So it was like the Monday after our last recording, I was like, I'm just going to throw it on. It took me four hours to watch because I was getting, you know, I had to get snacks. I had to pee every now and then. It's yeah, one yeah. of those movies. Um, I definitely, uh, I, I, I stay up pretty late and it was maybe like nine o'clock. And I was like, you know what? I, I haven't watched this yet. We have to record on it. I was like, I'll throw on, drive my car. And then I saw the runtime three hours. So I was like, I'll watch Belfast instead. <laughs> <laughs> 90 minute movie. So you are, you're right. There's like a I, I I don't usually look up the runtimes before because I don't want that to affect how I watch it. But it's hard when it's on like a streaming service and it just lists it right there. And it definitely changed the way I was like, oh no, okay, I need to I need to actually set a time for this and to be ready to go and watch it. And I, it's bad; it shouldn't affect my opinion on it. But I I do think knowing the runtime changed how I thought about this movie and how I was gonna go about watching it and needing yeah. to take notes in between, and which is unfortunate but I am going to complain about the runtime of this movie. <laughs> yeah. But so also part of like why this doesn't bother me is that I have just seen a glut of films that are so much slower than this. It's not that this movie is interesting because those mo- movies are so much worse. I don't think that this movie is necessarily entertaining um, or very engaging. It's, it's something that you need to rewatch several times to really get all of the thematic elements and all of the symbols that, that they're talking about. Um, but I come I come with a deep a different appreciation for these types of movies because, like I was saying, it's there's a the, there's this very particular idea of of cinema like this where it's this meditation, where it's this reflection on on characters and decisions and states of being, which is. I think the three-hour runtime is sufficient. I think you need the whole thing. I think you could have made it more succinct, but it also takes away from the fact of, like, what these characters are going through. Like, time is such a big deal here. And the way they represent it, it doesn't necessarily fit in thematically, but it's, it's like a texture thing. It's more, it adds more to your experience of these characters. So we had talked about it before recording. I thought all the most important scenes take place in the car. And I think you could have cut everything out in between and you could have gotten the same message across. And one thing that you had mentioned is like, well, I think kind of the point is that it's supposed to be something we linger in. It's supposed to be long because we're supposed to experience what this character is going through. It's like this long drug out time where he has to be uh, alone with his feelings and eventually confront them. And so I can I can appreciate filmmaking in that way. If, if it's going to be long and like serve a purpose, I can appreciate it more for that. So while I will criticize it, I do get it in terms of like building your story, you need to make it long. We need to linger on this because that's what your character is going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I don't think that all of the most important scenes are in the car. I think that a lot of the, um, cul- the culmination of a lot of the themes do happen in the car. Right. But you need all of the things before that precede that to build to that. I, I really want to talk. I think, I didn't really understand how his wife tied into a lot of things, like the stories that she told. Those are so much impo- so much more important uh, than I originally thought. I, I kind of thought of this movie as like a two-hour and 20-minute film with a 40-minute flashback. Uh, yeah, that's a his. really good way of putting it. Yeah. But I don't think it is. Because the thing is, you need to get you need to understand the context of their relationship and then the stories on top. You could talk about the stories, but you just don't get the same sense of their relationship without showing it physically. Okay. So that's why that movie needs to be three hours and why that whole 40 minutes is so necessary. And why they can't do flashbacks. You know, you get to see their actual real, you get to see her in real life. Yeah, you're it not feels... Not just seeing him, you know, mm-hmm. this melodramatic, oh, my wife's dead. This is my memory of her. Yeah. yeah, this isn't a CW show. Like this is art. You said it's like not melodramatic. I, I actually think, I would describe it as very <laughs> melodramatic. That's, I just know the flashback. Okay. Adding the flashbacks in, I think, would make it even more that way. We'll get into some of the reasons I think it is just a really well written soap opera. But before that, I we talked about this being based on a short story, and uh, Katya, you did some some research on it, and I think it's always good to get some like background on like where's this story coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. 
think the, the main story that's built on is by the same title, Drive My Car, um, by Murakami. And then it pulls from a few other stories in that same, that same collection to kind of flesh out the rest of it. And um, I did find it interesting because Murakami explicitly stated he didn't think that, you know, books should really be adapted into movies or short stories didn't need to be filmed, that books were good as books and they say all they need to say. Um, So it would be interesting to talk to that later about how this really did add a lot more nuance and teach us or maybe show us more um, through having it in the medium of film. But the essential story of the Drive My Car is really that scene between Kafuku and Koji at the bar where they're they're talking to each other they're not really explicitly saying that they know what's going on with what happened with Oto like it's never um Koji's never really confronted with that actuality of what happened we just see them talking and starting to maybe understand each other so the the short story is very much like that it's two middle-aged men meeting in a bar for months and forming this relationship when in the background the one man had a wife who died of cancer and he's fairly certain this other man had um, an affair with her, a relationship with her outside of their marriage. And it's never explicitly said. They just keep talking and they slowly start to form, form a friendship and they at some point understand each other. And it kind of culminates in the one man trying to push the other Maybe not push him, but the other man almost says what happened. But instead, he he talks about how you you can't really know another person by trying to look into them constantly. Like you'll never you'll never find an understanding there. You just have to look deep, deep with inside yourself, and that's where you're going to get the answers that you're looking for. So I think that really sets up the the whole frame of the movie. That is what Kafuku has to do. Yeah, I think that that theme of the movie is portrayed really well. I mean, you definitely there's the scene in the car where they're talking about the the story that Oto is, is come up with and Koji knows like the ending like you said explaining like you can't really know the other person all you can do is kind of self-reflect and know your own heart and so I do I think like that theme of the movie it's a through line through the book that is uh I think portrayed well in the film I I did also read an article that uh the the writer said that he was like movies are fair game he's like it's it's okay that you know it's changed and adapted and everything, but yeah. I, I like that like that piece of the movie, which seems, or that piece of the book, which is the core theme, carries into the movie. I think that makes a lot of sense. So you had mentioned the story kind of revolves around this infidelity of Oto, and what did you guys think of the reveal that Kafuki has known the whole time that his his wife has been cheating on him? Uh, it's assumed it's with actors from the dramas that she's written. I think the way it's shown to the audience is this is the uh, this is him initially finding out. You know, he he, it's kind of this trope, and it made me roll my eyes that someone has a plan, plans get canceled, they end up coming back home, you know, and then they catch their significant other with with a with another partner. And it's really simple in a way, but it sets up the story really well. And you find out later that this is something that he's known for, I mean, years or it's been going on for a while. Did it make you guys go back and look at scenes earlier in the movie once that reveal is made known that this isn't the first time he saw it, he's known for a long time? Um, yeah, absolutely. I I was so tense. Like, that's what I thought the whole movie was about for the first half. I was just waiting for him to say something to somebody. And it just seemed like he wasn't admitting it. It seemed like it was all about him not wanting to admit this to himself. But then when you realize it's been happening for years and he's just never wanted to confront her, he's liked what they have and he's afraid of losing it. Yeah, he says that, it, yeah. It, he's worried about it affecting the balance of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so maybe he thinks she might leave if he knows or, yeah, it wouldn't work anymore as well. So knowing that and then having him lose her means it just feels like it means so much more because it's not just about him wanting to know the truth behind why she did it. It's like him wanting to know everything about her at this point. Um, so yeah, it makes all those scenes that they had for me feel more important because those are the, the honest moments that he had with her and the moments when they were really creative together and that work was flowing. And I think that did kind of hurt me later when I realized, Oh, she was telling these stories. It didn't have anything to do with him. It was all the, with the orgasm and the sex was really the main part of it. Right. But he did help and they did collaborate yeah, going back, like those stories actually make a whole lot more sense to me. They they work in uh, in a thematic way that was felt very loose um, and untied the first time through. Going back through, you realize that that story of the intruder is something that uh, 
it's about him. It's about Kafuku actually uh, finding her. That security camera getting added afterwards, and that's the only thing in the world that had changed um, to indicate that she had committed the act that she had done. That she was no longer this lamprey, um, you know, not hurting anyone. That she was actually she had become a different person, and that is actually mirrored in the. The second, the second time that they have sex, Kafuku and Noto, after he discovers her with uh, Koji, um, she looks at that mirror and realizes that you can see straight into the foyer, right? And that right there is why she decides that they need to talk when he leaves, is because she has seen the tangible evidence of her actions and how it has actually changed the world. It's, I. The, that's why the, this movie needs to be three hours. The, those first 40 minutes are so important to set up the thematic tension of that story later on in the car. That's why that performance is so gripping is because those stories had been explained to him in such a way, in such an intimate setting, that when Koji tells him one that had continued, one that it was it was only a bite of what Kafuku had, uh, had experienced, Koji got the whole thing. And to basically shove that in his face like no you need to your wife's infidelity is much bigger and much more painful than you're actually thinking because here's something so intimate that you thought was only yours but there are more intimate moments that she's had with other men you know the director had um the way you film inside a car you know you're gonna have a camera in the in the seat next to the the actor and so while it's edited together to make it seem like they're both in the car they're not actually during filming and so he actually had the other actor stand outside the car. That way it felt like they were still working together. I think it's kind of an interesting way to like pull off emotion and like keep the actor like on target for what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think that's like an interesting way to do it because I think this movie is really melodramatic with all of the way the dialogue is delivered and it's a lot of monologues. But I, I do like the idea of like it's still a conversation between two people and being able to pull that off in a way by just having the other actor near the car. That way it feels like you're interacting with something besides a camera. I I can appreciate like that, that technique and that style of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of the important relationships and like conversations do happen in the car. So that would be so weird to have to film it without the person actually there. (laughs) It is. Yeah. It's just an interesting thing to be like a, from a filmmaking standpoint, Mm -hmm. the way it's edited, you just think like this is a conversation between two yeah. people, but then realizing like that is not, uh, it's not feasible to film that way. So to have a, a little more background on it, it makes me appreciate like the actors a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I want to move on to after Odo's death. Kafku is going to direct a play and it involves actors from different backgrounds, uh, different languages. And it's really just his focus is to have them just interact with the text because you're not going to be able to pick up on cues from other actors because they don't understand each other. I mean, you have someone who speaks Mandarin, uh, you have people who speak Japanese, someone is using Korean sign language. And I think that's like a a really interesting idea on its own. And the fact that it's an element in this movie, I think makes it more intriguing. But I, I, I just genuinely like the idea of uh, like, what is going to be the method? Like, how are you going to act going through this? And how are these characters going to play off each other in this, in this story? And so what did you guys think of, uh, that being kind of your next driving plot point is this this new play that's going to be uh, carried out. The play, the play made everything. I don't know. At some time, at some points, the play felt like too much. It felt like there was so much going on. Now you have the play. You're going in and out of it. There's really not a lot of dialogue between the characters outside of the play either for a long time. So everything you're getting is all of these people speaking in different languages, not really understanding each other, not really understanding the text yet, not understanding their director. So in ref- in relation to the movie, I found that pretty interesting because they're kind of being forced to grapple with how do I how do I find the truth in something I don't really understand? And also all the ways that the language and the way we're communicating with each other is getting in the way of us understanding these things, but also at the same time, how important these things are simultaneously because he keeps saying that, you know, you're going to be pulled out by the text, like the true you is going to come out. And just seeing how each actor either comes alive with that, like um, the girl who, the nonverbal one, uh, Liu, Liu Na, Mm -hmm. is that her? Mm -hmm. How she really comes alive with it where 
oppositely, um, Koji's really, really scared to do that because he thinks he doesn't have anything inside of him. So all of these different people trying to find their own truth through the play is really cool. But it is also pretty, it can be confusing at times. It can feel like a lot. Yeah, and I agree with it a lot, with that a lot. Um, I think it is a lot. I think in some places it's it's really on on the nose. Like there's, he's when he's reading lines in his car, which I think is just a fascinating idea to do, to include in this movie, how he talks about uh, the woman's uh, infidelity, like, or is is she faithful? And these, that question of that character and it being a reflection of his own ideas about his own wife that she is both at the same time faithful and cheats on him. There's no question of her infidelity, I think is, is so, so interesting because it's not, it's then it's not a monologue. If, if it's a story that the main character has created and then we see all of these lines coming from other people, I love the idea that, um, the, that text is coming alive and it's coming out of other people, but through the medium of his own interpretation. And that's why the the play is such a big deal for him, why he can't play it anymore. It's because he has all of these things inside of him that he won't confront, that the text does pull all of those things out and it's really trying. And for someone that is ignoring significant parts of, of themselves, of pain and guilt and shame, it, you you can't put yourself into the play. And I love that how here it's the play as uh, an expression of him. And Koji talks about how uh, both Oto and uh, Kafuku are doing the same thing. They're paying attention to details and the things that they write. And those stories so being so important, Oto's stories about the lamprey and about the intruder being so important thematically here. And then in another vein, this play being so important mm-hmm. to the themes of the, of the movie. And that all of these other characters aren't really characters they're ideas that he has about his own inner conflict so we're talking about these actors and these table reads and everything they're going through i wondered how relatable does this movie feel to you guys because to me it's i don't i don't draw a lot from it because i'm not an actor i don't do table reads and and again i've I've said that i think the most important parts of the movie take place outside the acting and outside the play were you able to walk away from this movie feeling anything or empathizing or sympathizing with uh, with these characters and, and the idea of like pain and loss and uh, confronting that and then moving on from it? Sort of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of the play, I did a lot of theater all through all the way through college. So the table reads, the like the plotting or the, you know, the blocking and trying to deal with trying to figure out what your director wants and really not getting it until all of a sudden you get it. Like, I, I really yeah. relate with that. I love, yeah. uh, who is it, Janice Chang? Mm-hmm. Um, and she is having a lot of trouble grasping, like, what the director wants. And and she's like, can you just tell me what I'm doing well or what I'm doing wrong? And she's like, and he just keeps replying back, like, well, what do you think? What do you think worked? She's like, I want to know what you think. That mm-hmm. way I can change it. But that's not the point. The point is to, like he said, interact with the text and have it draw out yourself. Mm-hmm. So I, I did like that kind of conflict between the actors and the director. Is like, it's not about understanding what the director want, wants. It's about understanding what the text is supposed to make you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And again, bringing out your truth. I mean, that's like <laughs> all of it. So I don't know. It's hard to say that the play wasn't super obvious because it is about this guy, everyone questioning the meaning of life and have they wasted their life and what are they doing? And then that's what is happening in the movie basically so yeah I liked all of the interactions with the actors that part did make it feel more relatable it made me feel like I knew a lot more about um the main character and what he was going through but in the end it felt like both of their situations both Misaki and Kafuku I had some understanding and some feeling but their situations just seemed so specific and complicated and I get the idea of moving on from grief and loss. But yeah, I didn't, again, it didn't feel like this is how you do it. And maybe that's important. I like that you said it was specific. That is something I had mentioned to Calvin before we started recording is that we watched Turning Red. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned in that, you know, it, I didn't go through those specific situations, but I felt relatable in a way because I've been through part of them. Like I had been a teenager growing up with strife between me and my parents and stuff like that. So it felt like it was digestible enough and I could pull something from it but I I agree with you this felt like a very specific story 
and it's going to impact people who went through that specific situation in a more complete way than it will to just like a general audience. Yeah, I, I and so I kind of disagree. I think that the big part of his the the fact that you're trying to connect all of these thematic threads the whole movie that you don't that there's nothing really emotional um until the end. And if you're still struggling to put all of the pieces together, it's not going to land. But the one line that really got me, especially on the second time, is where he finally realizes that he did want to confront Odo. He didn't want to lose her and he just says I, I just want to see Odo. I, I, and he goes on like, I want to yell at her. I want to berate her. I want to tell her how she's really hurt me. And those, the pain of not being able to go back and do something that's forever lost, that to me really hit home because that's, that, that is universal. It's just, it's hard to put that, that piece in this puzzle. Um, that's so massive at the same time. It feels like there's a lot of missing pieces when you get to that point the first time through. The second time through, it it really is. It all breaks down about how all of the lines he's reading are thoughts. All of the stories from Odo are uh, allegories for their own life. Um, how even uh, Misaki, uh, Misaki's uh, story, too, about her, her mom being buried by the rubble and her killing her because she didn't rescue her how that's reflected there too. It's all of that being uh, seen in these other mediums through these other people, these other stories, and just finally giving him clarity and peace. And I think that's the biggest thing about this movie for me is that there's this there's this duality in everyone, um, parts that we section off from other parts of ourselves. And we think of it, of it being like, because of other people. He can't see everything that's in Odo. So he has these two selves where he holds the the twin idea of him, of her being a lovely, wonderful wife who loves him, they're great partners, and this person that cheated on him. And he can't reconcile them. So rather than uh, confronting it, he just basically buries it in this hole under an avalanche. Right. And that that hits me so much harder the second time through because I see where we were, how we got to this point. The first time through, it's not very, very well made. It's it's just you really just kind of have to sit and 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 soak up some of these elements, and then the next time through, you're like, oh. So mm-hmm. and that's but that's this brand of cinema. That's yeah. kind of the, right, right. that's kind of the thing. It's like yeah. uh, there's a I got reminded of this uh, Taiwanese film that came out two years called two years ago called Days, and oh my gosh, if you didn't like this, <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to tell you about Days because I Days think, is going to end up being a, a podcast that we do later. I'm oh sure. my gosh, <laughs> it'll take days to watch it. The is first it days or days. Days, yeah, exactly. Uh, Still the first, answer the question. Yeah, <laughs> but the first scene is the first shot. It's seven minutes long of a guy just staring out a window, and it's just you're just looking at him. Oh boy, and <laughs> he doesn't say anything. Every now and then, he kind of sighs, and about halfway through that that shot, you're like, "Oh God, <laughs> what have I gotten myself into?" So this is this is moving Compared at a lightning that, pace. It's oh great. yeah, it's it's cut up in a lot of ways that make this very engaging. So I I like that you brought that up because I think you're going to see a division in this podcast. You're going to bring a lot more of your your film background and your education into this, and I'm going to go into it. And I like think Katya too mm-hmm. is just like kind of your average viewer. And I think I've watched a lot of interesting and uh, non-mainstream films since we started doing this. And even still, I was like, this is so boring. (laughs) Like, we've watched some, I think for an average audience, you would call them like experimental or different. But for you... I don't don't think, I I wouldn't even call any of the things (laughs) even close to experimental or avant-garde. Yeah, for, for you, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, even to the definition don't... of the terms, okay. but I, I know what <laughs> you mean. From the lay people, Calvin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think, yeah, we're we're going to have these juxtaposed opinions going throughout this. And so I like that you're bringing that into it, and I'm certainly going to bring forth why I think you're wrong about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, yeah, because I, I, that, that I think that's what makes this movie so great and why I think this is so much better than e- even everything, everywhere, all at once, is because what makes cinema... A good piece of cinema, so great, is the fact that you can have really deep conversations after multiple viewings and they just sit with you. And they, I don't think that we're going to have like a super uh, 
interesting uh, conversation about everything everywhere all at once. I think there are cool things to talk about, but I think it's uh, on the same level of, of Belfast in terms of like its structure. Uh, it's a family drama with some uh, some other elements to make it more fun and to give clarity and context for uh, for what's going on. But at the at the same point, it's not a deep movie th- uh, thematically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what's always going to hold that movie back for me is the fact that it's not very philosophically minded, whereas Drive My Car is that's what cinema is to me is like it's these weird ways of being and just sitting in them for three hours right i was riveted this morning when i got up at six o'clock to watch it for a second time (laughs) but no i'm glad you said that because uh i had texted you and because you had said like drive my car is like wonderful and you really liked it and i i had high hopes that you would actually like it too i i texted you back i was like i did not care for this movie um (laughs) And I, I also had said, like, it's good that we feel this way because we've been agreeing way too often. <laughs> so I like that it's a, a movie with some uh, some controversy between us. Um, yeah. And it makes it, I think it does say something to what art is supposed to be. Not the movie itself, but the idea of the movie that art has all this power. And it's it's really part of what's keeping them all of them alive mm-hmm. to some extent. Mm-hmm. So that we can watch this movie and really like not enjoy watching it, but then talk about it. Like that's been the most interesting part for me is learning more about it, not necessarily watching it the first time. Yeah, even as the, an allegorical function of the play here, there's the the meta analysis of the art giving him clarity on his life, as it is a piece of art contained within art for us. That sounds a little pretentious inceptionism stuff, but I think that's really the biggest thing here is how. Um, art and stories can give you clarity on your own life when they pull out these these things that are buried inside of you and when you resonate with a character in such a way that it it says oh that's me that's why I feel this you know this I don't think we experience this like we did like with uh, like me and Jaden did with uh, Midsummer because that's just one of those movies right right um, that's that's the express intent of that. Whereas here, there's another la- another layer of it at, and another level down, and that's I think why it's a little bit harder to to connect with. So I want to talk about Misaki. We haven't really addressed her yet, and this is what I mentioned kind of in my first impression is like it's kind of an odd couple. She's really young, and she ends up becoming his driver. And as the story progresses, it's kind of revealed that they're both going through like similar pain and and a lack of closure. And I like how Kafka is put in this really vulnerable place by having to listen to these tapes in front of her. It used to be something that was really intimate for him and he did on his own on his drive. And that's why he wants to be like an hour away. That way he can go through this process like his own method. And I think introducing a driver into that, it, like I said, it puts him in this vulnerable place and it allows them to grow closer to each other. It's really disarming that he has to go through this with her. And like I said, we, we end up building to the point where you find out they have a lot more in common than you originally thought. And I wonder, what do you guys think about kind of the reveal later on that uh, Misaki feels that she's killed her mother in uh, after in the aftermath of this landslide? And Kafku also feels that he's killed his wife by not having this confrontation and this, uh, having this conversation that he was kind of dreading. Uh, how do those stories pair together? And uh, do you like this kind of odd couple and the way their relationship develops? Yeah, I think they're they're interesting in that the idea is I feel like they're both clear examples of of people that should not feel shame or guilt over this action, but they they're racked with it for whatever reason. You know, she's not the one that caused the landslide, but she feels like she didn't save her. Um and he also feels like he killed Oto cuz he didn't want confrontation because he didn't want to lose her. And then ironically, the reason that he loses her is because he avoided the confrontation and she died. I don't think she died because they didn't have the conversation. I think there's the the idea that if he had gotten home afterward, she might've been gotten to the hospital or whatever. In a narrative sense, it's not necessarily. Oh my God, I'm so stupid. That makes so much sense. (laughs) I, I struggled with the line where he was like, I killed my wife. Like the, the brain hemorrhage was his fault. That makes oh. so much more sense is that oh. if he had just been home, then he could have mm-hmm. he, he could have been there to, like you said, get her to the hospital. Or Okay, I struggled with that line because I was not understanding why he felt so much guilt over it. 
Thank you for clarifying that. That, yeah. makes, that. that will knock this movie up another point because probably, I struggled to understand why he felt so much guilt and mm. felt responsible for her death. But that makes so much more sense. Thank you, you for saying that. You probably would have caught it on your second viewing. How come? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't wake up at six o'clock to see this with you. I'm sorry. I was done before anyone even woke up. <laughs> we had a late night. I had a lot of coffee too, though. I mean, it, the, to be fair, I needed it for this movie. Right. Oh, but yeah, uh, oh, yeah, speaking more on like this, uh, like this couple, and I, I, I really like the uh, all the background you get on Misaki and like her telling her own story and like the the like genuine interest that showed in it. And I, I love all the scenes where they're like, you don't ever see him smoking with other characters. It's only with her. And I like that as like a just kind of a tie into the show. Like this is their time together. And this is like them having an understanding with each other and uh, a common ground between them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a visual way of showing that like this is something that they do together. Yeah. Even though they still are very, both very much kind of always staying in their own little reveries, they're always kind of separated. And I also really appreciate that it was never because there was a moment when he said, you know, she's such a good driver. She's so smooth. And when you compare that with how he felt about his wife's driving, you might get a sense of, oh, maybe there's something more than friendship that could happen here. But I like that it really, that's never on the table. They're always friends. It's never like a romance. They make a clear age comparison between her being 23 and his dead daughter would have been 23 at this time which i think was then even more like oh there's now there's something else this is more of a daughter friend inner voice and something that's going on i said this is a well well written soap opera it would have become full-blown soap opera if this becomes like a romance between the two so i'm glad that that was and then she was his daughter yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and he was her father (laughs) yeah he was the missing father all along i could just imagine these like striking music with close zoom-ins on their faces when they come to the realization yeah that's a terrible version their faces doing nothing just (laughs) you know (laughs) just staring um but i think what's so great about that too is it changes the car the the entire dynamic of what the car means thematically too it's it's not it's not bringing these characters together for romantic purposes what it's doing then is it's he has such an idea of how his life is and uh, how he goes up, goes about it to have to give that up to someone else who he doesn't know, doesn't trust. Oh, sorry. I just had a realization. So she's kind of like the security camera as well in his life in I a way. Cause she's the thing that changes. I think that's a, that's a good way of, of seeing it too. Yeah. Cause I mean, you could, you could make that, that, that statement because like here, this is the daughter that I could have had. My life could have looked differently if she was in it. I suppose that's a really good way, uh, a good way of looking at it. And then that makes, it makes that scene where they're both, where he decides to finally sit in the passenger seat and not the back row and that moment of mm-hmm. connection and uh, relatability. Like I could have had a daughter who smoked just like me and we just, right. you know, got along and, there are lines where just uh, in Uncle Vanya where he talks about, I wasted 25 years of my life with you. And I feel like that's him talking to his to Oto every right. time. And so the idea that here, this is, this is what could have actually, you could have actually gotten out of it. And to see that, I think that's the clarity that he gets. So it's all of these different stories coming together with this one real moment right. with someone. I think, that's, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. No, and I, I, I like that you brought up him changing seats in the car, too, because I, I thought that was like a really subtle way to build up his his growth in trust and that building of the relationship. Uh, initially, he starts in the, the back seat on the passenger side, and then eventually he moves a little bit closer and he's directly behind her. And then, like you said, eventually he moves to the front seat and they're smoking together. I think it's just a really it's a really neat little subtle way to just show how that relationship has been progressing. And yeah. there's other like little neat hints at it as well, like. He tells Masaki, like, hey, you can stay in the car. It's cold out. Like, I don't, I don't, if you're going to be waiting on me, I don't want it to be like a, I don't want you to struggle through this. And then later she's invited into a dinner, even though she's fine with waiting in the car. And I just think there's a lot of like really non-overt ways that they build this relationship and and how it becomes like very disarming and it becomes very honest relationship between the two of them. Yeah. And it always seems like they're both on the same page because even from the beginning, she automatically assumes he wants to sit in that seat. Right. Unless he'd prefer to sit up front. So I think that sets it up as, oh, when, you know, you will prefer this. Maybe. (laughs) Someday. Yeah. And she has a clear respect for what the car is for him. 
And I think that is why it's so easy for him to uh, get to this point where he feels disarmed is because she saw him inside and out before he they had even ever met. I think that's what's implied by her standing outside of the car when he first gets there is this is, you know, I, I get what you are. I could see how much care and detail you put into just taking care of this weird old car that plays cassette tapes. Yeah. And then moving that into a genuine connection that she isn't, she isn't trying to force, but she's there if he wants it to be. So you mentioned the car and how important it is. And uh, it plays a big role in the end of the movie. So Misaki goes to a grocery store and she's she leaves and she's the one driving the car now i i want to know what do you think the ending means what does it say about her story and kafku's story and did you notice anything interesting when she's driving down the road at the very end well she's in korea yeah, south she left korea Japan, right mm-hmm. okay but is that what was in the that background? was my that was my neat thing is cause, <laughs> I mean, it was just jumped out to me right away because they're driving yeah. on the other side of the street so oh, it indicates yeah. that she's she's no longer japan she's like she's oh moved on there's a sign it. that's in korean i well. Also, all of the Hyundais. That's I, a Korean car. Okay. <laughs> You're so smart, Kelly. I just thought it was just a really... Uh, they were also always speaking Korean. I didn't... I didn't notice. I actually that. didn't know I didn't either. I wasn't paying okay. attention too closely I, I at that I looked it part. up afterwards. <laughs> I will say, that is one thing. I was like, oh, it just immediately jumped out to me. I was like, okay, she's left Japan. Like, mm-hmm. uh, just the... It's just a really easy way to show that they're driving the opposite side of the road. And it, it to me, just indicates right away, without without needing to look it up after... I was like, okay, like that's the progression of her story. That was the interesting thing. I was, I thought I was smart for noticing. <laughs> Apparently, it was it was extremely obvious. Um, one thing I like to think about with the car, her having the car, is the idea of uh, the exchange of tokens. Ooh, yeah, I love that for sure. Mm-hmm. And him just relinquishing that control and that part of him, and ultimately, you know, that was something that held him back, tied to a past that he no longer had. Right. So to give it her, it, it really brings him full circle um, for character development. Yeah. I, I essentially just thought of it as this is the, it's the culmination of both characters' closure. And I like that you see Kafka's closure without even having him on screen. The fact that he was able to give up this car mm-hmm. and move away from something that uh, was like a remnant of a, a life that he had with his wife and to be able to to give that away and it all happens off screen and you understand like that this is the culmination of that character. I think it's done in a really interesting way. And then for Saki to, to leave and now she can move away from this landslide and uh, the, the past she's had with her mother. I think it's, it's, it, it is in the end, it's just a story about closure, but I thought the ending was done really well and it did just have a, a car drive down a road and then credits roll. And mm-hmm. to understand what the point of this movie was and to execute in that way, I thought it was done really well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, it was a good way to to close. It, it does kind of feel like, though, that, yeah, he, he has moved on. He's given that to her. She's moved on. She's left Japan. But she's also moved on, like, with this, like, very symbolic piece of his past that was pain. I mean, I think it also speaks to that. She's still going to be in this. It's not, it's not totally gone, but she is moving forward. And he is moving forward, although he probably, maybe he kept the tape. So, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that would have been great. Uh, she started listening to that tape like as she's yeah. driving down the road. Yeah. So, so yeah, I thought it was a good, concise thing. My most confusing part was I thought she had the dog from the director, the <laughs> other director's house. Cause you know, they went to dinner and then right, she right. got down immediately and started petting the dog and yeah. it's very similar. So I was like, is this some sort of weird, like they're all traveling troop and she's their traveling driver well, she's and she collecting has the trophies dog. People yeah. She's killed. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't picture her killing anybody, but that was the only thing confusing to me. I was like, why does she have a dog? Maybe it's just because she loves dogs so much. That's her new friend. Maybe that's her new Sachi little friend. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's interesting that you say this movie is about closure. I don't think it is about closure. I think he gets closure. I think the whole point of this movie is the process. It's the is the process to get to closure and to realize that there are things that are holding you back and holding you down. And if you don't uh, approach them, you're not. You don't even understand that you need closure. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. Is not, a lot of these characters don't even think that they need anything until they get it. Like that. That final shot where the two of them are embraced above the above the hill where they where they both reconcile the idea that the 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 best relationship sachi um 
Odo, the loving wife, is also the worst person in their life, the abusive mother and the, the, the cheating, cheating, lying partner. The fact that those exist in one person and then how they embrace and she's the daughter that he never had and he's the father that uh, she never had and how they can be things that they both missed out on and that prevented them that that's what creates the schism i think in in uh, both of the people that they love is the fact that another piece of of that family unit was missing and so to get that together that was such a, a powerful shot for me as well not only in emotion but also in a theme right i actually want to talk about that scene a little bit uh, masaki says that she doesn't think that odo is genuine and she does love him and she is also seeking attention from other men. And she doesn't think that these two things contradict each other and that she can be both those things at once. And it's not strange to her that Odo is this way. In the context of the movie, does that work for you? And then like just personally, does that kind of does that kind of relationship work for you? I think that one thing that surprised well, me about the the reveal that she has been cheating is is I de- throughout the whole throughout the portion of the film that Odo is in it I was surprised at how genuine and and how real her love felt despite the fact that she has been cheating because I think there's a different version of this movie or more mainstream uh, idea of like the cheating wife or whatever where the love is fake and it's a a front but like especially like the the sex scenes between them they feel intimate and they feel like there's a lot of genuine love in it and so I kind of agree with that is it she is just this person who can be both things and I think the movie does a, a pretty good job of pulling that off. But like contextually, does it does it fit the movie? Did it match that theme for you? I mean, yeah, I, to me it is. I think that's the th- that's the thing is he just he always decided that that part of her was something he just didn't understand, and it was like some other thing than than what she really was to him. And I think that's what she makes so clear is it's just like a mint like for her it was a uh, her mother it was like a mental disease like she is at the same time Sachi and her mother um just at different times those aren't contradictions they're aspects um and I think that's exactly what she's what she's trying to point out is you know she did just cheat on you she did hurt you in big ways and you're just not acknowledging it and I think that's what I think if, if there's any clear answer for anything in this movie, it's it's that that's it. Right. Okay. Yeah, that everyone, people can be more than one thing at once. But I think Kafuko probably has, it seems like he also has trouble with this because he's constantly working with actors. He's working in these plays. He, he has these roles. Everyone seems for him to play their role. Like that's what she's doing. She's either the loving wife or this other person he doesn't understand. And then his driver is just a driver until she becomes this friend and kind of daughter figure. So yeah, I think that makes a lot se- lot of sense in just saying it simply is all of these things all at once. Right. And how are, what are you going to do with it? This is the real Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because there's infinite amounts of nuance. Yeah. yeah. No, I- <laughs> there's only 50. <laughs> <laughs> so there's 50 shades of nuance. <laughs> so I want to move now into some of the the cinematography, like how the shots that we liked. I think one of the scenes that's portrayed really well and it explains the growing relationship between uh, Kafku and Masuki is the scene where he brings back the, the moonroof, the sunroof on his car, and they're going to smoke together. And it's something that he he told her previously, you know, you can be in the car, just don't smoke in it. And so to finally, their relationship has moved to the point where they, they can be close enough with each other and share this moment together. So as far as like shot selections go, that's one of my favorites is just the, the view of their both their hands out of the moonroof. And it just it's communicating a very intimate moment between the two of them. Uh, but Calvin, uh, do you have any other scenes or like kind of elaborate on the filmmaking? So there's a few like there. I don't think the composition here is really all that complex. This is, again, a very specific type of cinema um, that's centered around the the drama of humans, and it's not huge on the, the mise-en-scene. The biggest things being how people embrace and how people are filmed. They're always looking past each other. And I think that is such an interesting thing when you think thematically about how they're not looking at each other. They're experiencing, they're getting cues off of them, but they don't really know them. And the biggest one is actually the second time that Yusuke and, I'm sorry, Kafuku, Yusuke, Kafuku, and Oto are having sex. 
we see her face and she looks directly at the camera and that and then we cut directly to the uh, mirror and that again that's the shot that I mentioned earlier about that was her security camera that was so interesting and so you have a lot of these embraces of these of these these back and forth of we're just looking at one person's face and the back of the head of the one they're embracing until the final scene where they both Misaki and Kufuku um, look at the the rubble together that union of view i think is so such a subtle way of painting um a joining of perspective an understanding between two people so while the camera work itself isn't very interesting i think that the way you craft uh body positions and blocking is so cool my favorite shot, though, in the whole film is when Koji gets arrested and he's walking up the, uh, the stairs after the, he asks if he can change and he looks back at everyone. And there's just, it's a swirl. Nobody is moving or saying anything. And it is just a swirl of tension of questions. Well, is he going to go to jail? Um, is the play going to go on? What happened? That guy died like how badly like what does this do to his career what does this do for the whole uh production company because right. they were worried about the you know the guy that got run that ran over uh uh someone with their car and that's why uh Kafuku couldn't drive there's so much said in a moment right and that is amazing i wonder do you think do you think koji beat this man and got arrested on purpose to force Kafuku into the role like this confrontation with his feelings and a eventually cathartic experience? Or do you think it's just, like as mentioned earlier, it's just kind of happenstance and it's someone who can't control themselves? Or do you think it was intentional by him to to force this character into a role that he didn't want to have? I don't I don't think that Koji was really thinking about Kafku yeah. <laughs> at all. I think I think he was just someone that was on the ver was already on the verge of giving up on everything. And so he just did whatever he wanted to do. And he probably, yeah, it didn't seem like he was very remorseful or very upset to be in jail. I think that was probably a re relief for him. Right. Like mm -hmm. he could he could stop being in the world. So, but yeah, that'd be cool if he was like, yeah, yeah. this is my redemption. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it e I don't think it's intentional either, but I think it still, it hits that beat, like you said, of mm -hmm. uh, a redemption for him. You know, like he, he can't do something himself, but he can help someone else uh, confront the pain they're they're going through confront the body in their house right i thought that was so interesting mm -hmm. like when you think about his monologue about uh talking about oro's uh story like how do you confront the body in your house what what is the evidence that it was ever even there and while he had just beat the crap out of somebody right. lifeless to to understand like where that that monologue was then coming from is very interesting. I think it gives more credence to your your theory. I think it's nowhere. <laughs> I I don't think it has a whole lot of of weight. I don't think it holds a lot of weight in terms of like he actually went and just to beat that guy up to right copy who did to do it. But like I, I don't think that is. <laughs> I don't think it was on purpose. Right. I just watching it, I was like, oh, I mean, it still operates the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it does. Whether it's intentional or not, it still moves your your protagonist to the position where he can have this confront himself and then move past it mm -hmm. uh, but i just i kind of like the idea of like my own little head <laughs> canon for this movie is like all along koji was like having these conversations with him in the bar in the car and and revealing all these like uh, secrets about his own wife and it was all moving to the point where he could finally let go of this role and allow the person who was really meant to be there fulfill that yeah and so yeah it's it's definitely it's it's my own little version of the movie i don't think it's intentional but i think it operates in that way yeah he's just actually chaotic good <laughs> well it's interesting yeah that he was chosen for the role in the first place like i think that, what the goal was yeah i think that is so such a good allegory for it like I, these two things are present in my mind i'm not going to have any problem with koji being here just like i have no problem with the idea of my wife constantly cheating on me existing in my home you know i think he he is used to uh that that conflict playing out all the time that seeing a, vi a physical representation of it didn't change him at all it was it was no harder for him emotionally or conceptually because it was just something he lived with right but i did like i did think like from a narrative standpoint i was like well obviously he's coming back later but like why right mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, so I think we're ready to 
move into final thoughts. Uh, Katya, what do you think of this one? And on a scale of one to 10 lampreys, where do you put this? On a scale of lampreys, the viewing experience was at a three or four. But as we've talked about it and I reviewed it, I think I've had it at like a 7.8. Wow, okay. Just because I feel like there's so much more going on. And I've learned a lot more from talking about it than I did from watching it. So I'll put it, I'll put it high up there. No, I totally agree with you. My, uh, my initial score was three out of 10. I thought this was so boring and I didn't get anything out of oh, it. I did not one, care for One this. point for every hour. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I liked it. Um, I mean, there were some revelations I had, uh, plot points I had missed and it defined some of the characters a lot better for me, especially some of the guilt surrounding both of them. Mm. Uh, having that, gap filled in for me through this conversation helps bump this up but so I, i'd still put it at like a I, i'm kind of there with you i didn't enjoy this movie i understand more aspects of the story and what makes it valuable but i i still i i don't know that i'd go and recommend this one and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it out of five out of ten lampreys five see i thought you were ready connor that's why I thought <laughs> we <should do> this. <laughs> this is the next step in my film journey was to understand why this is a a, a great film and yeah. I, I didn't reach that peak for you i'm, I'm sorry yeah, we'll have to so, try again i'm so disappointed but yeah this was actually this was the film i was most when i realized that you weren't ready um <laughs> <laughs> this was the film i was most interested in uh in talking about today is because this is this is one of those movies that um is a film that changes your perspective on what the medium is and what the medium does like I don't think I th I think I agree like my experience of watching this movie is below what the discussion is. The discussion I'm having so much fun like I can remember watching this movie 10 years ago and missing almost all of the important things, not understanding how narrative works together, how themes work together, how the camera is reinforcing all of these ideas and how all of the blocking between the characters reinforces more of those themes and those symbols. Those things are, were really lost on me 10 years ago. So I love being able to show you like, this is what the, those things mean because this is how we design movies. This is how we design sets and and add depth to simple stories. Because it's like you said, like this is everything about this story is so simple. Right. It's it's stated outright and almost uh, and and foreshadowed in almost everything. There aren't really any twists, but this movie is so so deep, um, and it's one of those ones that you can go back through and watch three or four times and just get. It's like reading poetry, and I think that's what like this being an adaptation of Murakami is. It's a book. It's, right. It's about these lines. It's about this content of of thought. And so for that, for me, it's it's like a nine point four. Wow! 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 It's I I I, I I am totally fine with it winning best international feature. I really wish it would have won uh, best picture at the Oscars because it was the only one I think that was deserving. I don't we, think the other ones are very good. We've talked about this before. It's like I I, th I think if you're gonna have a movie that's nominated for best international film, why is it not thrown in the should category of best picture? Like yeah, it should automatically. Yeah, it feels like yeah. I mean, at least a portion of them, um, and maybe not every single one in the category, but it seems silly to me. To it, it also seems it's very entitled that only American films are going to be best picture. You know what we should do is we should just have best picture and then best American feature. And right, if I that, actually agree with that a yeah, lot more. I, I feel like that would be like it would be silly because it would be like the Academy like actually being self aware that. Which they not? <laughs> yeah, like no, Hollywood is the pinnacle of filmmaking. But at the same time, I think a lot of them understand that no, it's not. There's a reason that most that um, so many different pictures win the Cannes Film Festival and the Venice Film Festival because it's it's a celebration of the world, which is a celebration of humanity, and that's why all of the international features are better than every single American picture. I think it's a it's a in, in the in the sorry in the category. Yeah. Not, at all it's a, it's akin to calling it the world series even though it's it's just, yeah, just it, it's essential it's north american baseball and to, so to say like you're the winner of the world mm -hmm. even though it's so focused on like just this one league it, it's akin to that for me I, I i actually agree with you it should be changed to best picture and it just includes the world and then you have like best american picture and that's the one that is just you know your american films like things like licorice pizza and belfast and uh was it coda that ended up winning but no i i agree with that i it is frustrating to me, and it, it, it seems really 
making yourself very self-important by saying that, oh, the best picture has got to be American, and we'll make a separate category for these other films that are probably better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so with that, uh, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, Katya, thanks as always for being on. Mm-hmm. Glad to have you. Thank you. And Calvin, thanks for being on again. Uh, and thanks for thanks for changing my mind a bit on this. Uh, I'm I, just glad that uh, someone listened to me. I, 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 had <laughs> I don't a, think I don't think there are very many people that would listen to my opinion. There are not very many people that I would find who have seen this movie to offer an opinion on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not overjoyed that I watched it, but I, I did get joy out of having this conversation on it. And, mm-hmm. and I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if people are tuning into us or not. I like being able to have these conversations with you guys. And if you can change my point of view on something or open my eyes in a way that I, I wasn't noticing before, I can appreciate that. So I, I'm glad to have this conversation over a movie that, again, I don't think I'd recommend. <laughs> uh, but with that, we're going to close out. You can find our podcast on any platform like Apple Music or Spotify. Uh, we also upload all these to YouTube. So go ahead and leave a comment. Tell us what we're doing well. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And if you have any recommendations on films we should review in the future, go ahead and leave it in the comments. And with that, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.